Good morning. Welcome to Axios Today. I hope you had a good weekend. It's Monday, July 27th. I'm Nyla Boodoo. Here's how we're making you smarter today. How the George Floyd protests have supercharged an even bigger civil rights movement. Plus, it's time to get realistic about our expectations for a coronavirus vaccine. But first, the congressional fight over the next stimulus package is today's one big thing. This Monday morning, we've got our eyes on Capitol Hill as lawmakers try to piece together the next stimulus package. Many benefits, like extended unemployment and the ban on evictions, are set to expire this week. Axios White House and congressional reporter Elena Treen is here to tell us what you need to know. Today, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell is expected to roll out the bill that he's been working on and has been heavily negotiated over the past week, which will be around $1 trillion. And it will be focused on some of the key priorities that both the president as well as Republican lawmakers in the Senate have been asking for. Some of those include direct payments, another round of those. They will extend unemployment benefits. Last time it was $600 a week for everyone across the country. Now they're trying to take taper it back a bit to 70% of what people were making prior to the COVID crisis. There's some other big priorities in there, liability protection. It's a big one that Republicans have been pushing. Of course, money for schools to reopen. These are the key things that we should see today when that bill drops. How important is the White House to this bill getting passed? The White House is key. I think that we've seen two top White House officials. We've seen Treasury Secretary Steven Mnuchin, who was the lead negotiator last time. He's playing a big role in this, as well as Chief of Staff Mark Meadows. They've been really every step of the way having negotiations with Republicans on this bill. And the president is going to have to sign off on whatever gets passed. We saw him on the Sunday shows yesterday. When you talk about piecemeal, this will be the fifth set of legislation. So there's no reason why we can't have number five, six, and seven as we need to deal with issues. They think that a more targeted, smaller bill would actually have a better chance of passing in a very short amount of time. One last thing I just wanted to ask you about, Elena, that I think is on a lot of people's minds, unemployment insurance. That's also something that you think there's agreement on that has been part of the stimulus package that will continue? Definitely, but it will continue in a different way. A lot of Republicans think it was too generous in the first bill, the $600 a week, and they're worried that it's providing a disincentive to people to getting back to work. Democrats totally disagree, and they think that people need this money badly. We've seen the jobless numbers every week come out, millions of people out of work. There's definitely going to be an extension of some sort of unemployment insurance that will be helping people when this bill is in its final form. There's going to be a lot of twists and turns over the next week. What do you think are going to be the key sticking points here? I wouldn't pay too much attention to a lot of the back and forth, the money for schools, the money for more coronavirus testing, the extension of the Paycheck Protection Program. All of these things are going to happen. How to be smart about the negotiations this week? Don't get lost in the details or the dollar amounts, but pay attention to policies, at least until the final stage. Elena Treen covers Congress and the White House for Axios. We'll be back in 15 seconds with a reality check on the coronavirus vaccine. Welcome back to Axios Today. Everyone keeps talking about when we get a vaccine, but we wanted to do a little reality check here around what that actually means. Sam Baker is Axios's healthcare editor, and he's with me now. 
Hey, Sam, you were on last week talking about the Oxford vaccine getting to phase three trials. How excited should we be about the success of a COVID vaccine? The news last week was legitimately really great news. It's just that we need to be realistic about when we get a vaccine. The first vaccine across the finish line is probably going to be a product that gives you some but not total inoculation. So it might keep people out of the hospital. It might prevent people from dying, but it doesn't knock out the infection, right? The coronavirus will still be circulating. That's one issue. The other issue is that both of the leading candidates of these vaccines require patients to get two shots. What kind of logistical challenges does that pose? To give you an illustration here, if you wanted to vaccinate all 300 million Americans, you need 600 million doses. It's going to take longer to manufacture more doses. We're going to need a really rigorous framework internationally to decide which countries get how many doses of the vaccine. And then domestically. Do we have a plan in the U.S. for who would get a vaccine first? Has that been developed? What experts will tell you is healthcare workers are going to get it first. After that, We don't really have a great framework in place, but there's a lot of people who are at a high risk for the coronavirus. More people than we're going to be able to inoculate in one fell swoop with one round of vaccinations. To use the infamous Alan Greenspan term, cautious optimism, how should we frame our expectations around this virus? I think cautious optimism is fair. What we've mostly proven so far is that these products are safe. Now we have to figure out, do they work in large numbers of people? So the biggest tests are the ones that are yet to come. And just because it has passed the previous tests does not mean it's going to pass these. The big picture here is a vaccine may not be a perfect solution that makes everything go back to the way it was. But if we can prevent more hospitalizations and deaths from the coronavirus, that in itself is a success. Sam Baker is the healthcare editor for Axios. The crises of 2020 have made it clear there are a lot of groups who have been left behind. But one silver lining is the attention some underrepresented groups are now getting. Axios media reporter Sarah Fisher has been talking to activists about how they're taking advantage of this moment. So 2020 has provided a cultural awakening because of three things colliding. The coronavirus, the Black Lives Matter movement and the election. And what underrepresented groups are doing is they're trying to increase visibility around all three of these issues. So with the election, you have people with disabilities, people who are blind, who are trying to figure out how they can do absentee voting. With the coronavirus, we see how the healthcare system has impacted minority groups, Hispanics, Black Americans, etc. This is a moment for consciousness around not just race, but disability. What are activists telling you about how they're seeing these things intersect? Well, for one, they have power in numbers. We spoke with Sergio Gonzalez, a deputy director at the Immigration Hub. And one of the things I thought was really interesting is he said, when you have movements like this, it's when you're able to work together and across the space, meaning across the space of underrepresented groups. And he says that could be one of the silver linings of all of these crises in 2020. Between the lines, 2020 has awakened consciousness around race and civil rights like never before. And Sergio told us that's why he's hopeful, because people working together across these groups is what can create social change. Sarah Fisher covers media for Axios. Before we end our show this Monday, the celebration of Congressman John Lewis's life began this weekend. Precious Lord. 
At 25 years old, Lewis led civil rights marchers across the infamous Edmund Pettus Bridge, where Alabama police officers knocked them to the ground and brutally beat them. Before a procession over that same bridge, gospel singer Kristen Glover sang a tribute. I am tired. I am weak. On Sunday, police stood on both sides of his casket, but this time, they were there to lift him up. Representative Lewis was a congressman for 33 years. Today, he'll lie in state at the U.S. Capitol before being laid to rest in Atlanta. That does it for us today. You can reach our team at podcasts at axios.com or reach out to me on Twitter at Nyla Boodoo. If you want more news before tomorrow, tune into our afternoon podcast recap. Thanks for listening. Stay safe. And we'll see you back here tomorrow morning. Bye.